Let us, let us pray. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. There is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing, obey. Amen. He goes by many names. He goes by many names. Touchdown Tom. Tom Terrific. TB12. Notice the opening hymn number. goes by many names. Giselle's husband. But these days he's going more and more by a new name. He's going by the name The Goat. The Goat. G-O-A-T. The greatest of all time. If you want to burn 45 minutes of your life, go ask a football fan if they think Tom Brady is the GOAT, the greatest of all time, if Tom Brady is the Michael Jordan of football, I'm here to tell you that Tom Brady is the GOAT. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> he has so many records, but the thing that's most impressive to me is that he has 12 postseason game-winning drives. Double that of any other quarterback. When, when the game is on the line, Tom Brady somehow gets even bigger. I hope I'm not going to live to regret that statement later on today. <laughs> we could use a few goats in other arenas in today's world, could we not? Couldn't we? Forget Foxborough. Where are the goats of goodwill? Where are the goats of goodwill? It seems like the egomaniacs and the pot stirrers get all the attention, and every tribe has them. But they get all the attention, and they raise our blood pressure, and they put a lump in our throat instead of pulling us together for the sake of the common good. Forget Ford Field. Where are the goats of understanding? There's something immediately gratifying about being able to share your opinion with the rest of the world in just a click of a button like we can these days through social media, through email. There's even a term, a new term being used called the hot take. You know what a hot take is? It's a commentary produced very quickly in a response to an event. This is how we function now, through hot takes. Where are the giants that will lead us into transformative and self-reflective conversation? Where are the goats of understanding? Forget soldier, forget Lambeau Field. Where are the giants that roam the field of mercy? Where are the ones that find good and sustainable solutions for the vulnerable? Not 
solutions that are expedient and make ourselves look good. Everyone is so worried about everyone else looking good that we just wrestle with one another now. Meanwhile, the comfortable stay comfortable and the afflicted stay afflicted. It's overwhelming, isn't it? It's overwhelming, I think, what we go through now. And what's odd, at least to me, is how stratified we all are in all of it. If, for instance, I asked this congregation who uh, you all thought the culprits were in all that we go through, I have a feeling that half would stand up and point to one type of person, and the other half would stand up and point to another type of person, as if there are two types of people. Someone's trying to convince us that there are two types of people, and they're making a lot of money on us. I don't think we should believe them, because there's one type of person, and that is the person that stands in desperate need of the transformative work of the Holy Spirit. I am that kind of person, and I think we all are. Where are the goats that can lead us into a conversation around that reality? Where are the people, like a clutch quarterback, that will get really big in and around the need for spiritual renewal? Where are those that get very big in the face of very unusually difficult circumstances? In the scriptures, we find some examples of very big people, and today we find in our scripture the Nephilim. There in our passage today, it's a text that fits perfectly into this Stranger Things sermon series that we've been going through. Renowned OT scholar Terence Fredheim says of this passage, this brief segment is one of the most difficult in Genesis both to translate and interpret. Certain words are rare or unknown. Issues of coherence arise at many points. Walter Brueggemann, who was here last fall and an Old Testament scholar says, this brief narrative is a most curious one. Anything that Walter Brueggemann finds curious and difficult to understand terrifies me. <laughs> Ronald Hendel wrote in the Journal of Biblical Literature, all are agreed that the story is strange and incomplete. And yet here it is before us, Genesis 6, verses 1 through 4. Of particular frustration is the nature and purpose of the Nephilim mentioned in verse 4. We only find the Nephilim in one other place, and that's in the book of Numbers. Moses sends some spies into Canaan, and they come back with word that the Nephilim, these giants, are roaming the land. And the spies tell Moses that next to the Nephilim, they look like grasshoppers. But we don't know how to translate this word, Nephilim. We don't really even know where it comes from. We do know from the Genesis passage that what happens is that the sons of God come down to earth and they take the beautiful women of the earth. Now when you hear that word take, I don't want you to think about it in any sort of romantic sense because the Hebrew here is the word lakah. And we see this word throughout the Old Testament. Do you know where we see it? In Genesis 3 where Eve wants the apple, and so she takes it. 
And we see it in Genesis 12, where Pharaoh wants Sarah, and so he takes her. And we see it when Sarah is barren and wants a son, and so she takes Hagar and she gives her to Abraham, setting off the whole rightful heir fiasco between Hagar's Ishmael and Sarah's Isaac. And we see it again in Samuel where David wants Bathsheba and so he takes her and he destroys her life. And so whenever we see this Hebrew word take, it seems like there is nothing good coming from it. And so when it comes to the Nephilim, I have to say there is nothing good. These are not the giants that we're looking for. They're not the goats that we need. In fact, you might even say that they're responsible, at least to an extent, for what happens next in the sixth chapter of Genesis. Because in the sixth chapter of Genesis, we meet a man named Noah. And he's invited, he's instructed by God to build a boat. And then in Genesis chapter 7, do you know who gets left off the boat? The Nephilim. And in Genesis chapter 8, the Nephilim are drowned. And then it begins to sink in that potentially, perhaps, it is that God's not so much looking for us to become the goat, but that he's intending for us to bring healing and community in another way, not by becoming bigger or relying on the ones that we perceive to be giants in the world to fix all of our problems, but by becoming something else altogether. God is in, is in hope that we'll become something else altogether. This week I was inspired by a quote by a man named Gregory Ellison, who said, I may not be able to change the world, but I can change the three feet around me. I may not be able to change the world, but I can change the three feet around me. Ellison, by the way, will be here the beginning of next month as a guest speaker for our adult ministry, uh, adult ministry program. I may not be able to change the world. I may not be able to become the goat, but I can change the three feet around me if we carried that out into our world. A few years ago, Sharon Salzberg wrote about a young man named Frank who put that concept to the test on a subway. He chose kindness when confronted by rude and pushy people. Let me tell you that story. She says, at one stop, a woman holding two heavy bags in one hand and a child's hand in the other pulled a little girl through the crowd to the pole where Frank was standing. Immediately, she berated him. We have experienced that before, where you're just standing there, minding your own business, and someone comes, and all of a sudden, they have a problem with you. Well, this happened to Frank. She told him that he was taking up too much space, his big hand was blocking out too much of the pole, and how did he expect that little girl to get her grip? Well, Frank wanted to bark back at her, but insisted that, but instead he paused to take her in. Likely she would be even later to work than he. She had to drop this child off at school or daycare. Literally, she was carrying a heavy burden. You know, you're right, Frank said, and he moved his hand higher. Sorry about that. One of the other passengers on the subway careened into Frank from behind, a young boy, right at the tender spot in his back. Again, first impulse was to yell at the boy, tell him to watch where he was going. 
Frank looked at him before he spoke and saw genuine concern in the boy's face when Frank winced from the pain in his back. Hey, buddy, slow down, Frank told the boy with a smile. The train is crowded. Sorry, sorry, sorry. And then he asked Frank, what's the book you're reading? It's a book about how to be kinder to each other, Frank said. <laughs> they write books about stuff like that, the boy said. And he turned back to his friends. Now, if Frank had acted on his first impulse, like we tend to do, he'd be scowling at the woman and child, and likely the woman would be staring back at him with the same fury. This is what we do. He would have made the boy feel guilty and clumsy, but instead, the space around Frank was calmer because he'd paused before adding to the friction. He'd done his part not to enhance the misery in the three feet around his body that were his to influence. I may not be able to change the world. I may not be able to be the goat, the greatest of all time, but I can impact, I can change the three feet around me. So might we be a community less concerned with becoming the goat? Might we be a community less determined to be the greatest of all time, less disappointed in those that have failed to be the giants that we needed them to be, less convinced that if someone would just become big, like the Nephilim, right here in our time, and all our troubles would go away. And instead, let us be intentional about being the got, the G-O-T-T, the greatest of these three feet. Won't you be the got with me, the greatest of these three feet? And let us then create these bubbles of goodwill and understanding and mercy in our midst. Imagine the impact that we would have if every single person in this congregation today committed to be the God, forgot about the goat, and committed to being the God, the greatest of their three feet. Imagine the impact we would have in our community. That's what Noah did. In the time of the Nephilim, that is what Noah did. And with his three feet, he assembled a boat. Plank by plank, he assembled a boat. He conceded his future to the one who really is the goat. He conceded his future to the greatest of all time. There in Genesis 6, not only the greatest of all time, the greatest from the beginning of time, the one who created time itself. He conceded his future to the one that is not only the goat, but is also the God. But in his case, not only the greatest of these three feet, but he's the greatest of those three days. He was the greatest of those three days. Also, that we, like Noah, might be remembered by God. Not because we were giants, but because we counted on wood and nails 
to get us to the other side of the flood. Amen.